0: I call my wife and um, I say, I've got an active shooter. Love you. And then I I hung up.
1: Hey, gang. I was at my local gun shop the other day picking up uh, a little EDC, a little micro 9mm the other day. And I had a glimpse at the ammo prices and it's nuts how expensive ammunition is these days. That's why Mantis Firearms Training System is a longtime sponsor of Active Self Protection. We're so grateful for them and for their product. Getting immediate, measurable visual feedback takes so much time out of the learning curve of dry fire. And this product is worth every penny. It's so inexpensive for what you get. In our opinion, what gets measured gets improved. And this helps you measure every aspect of dry and live fire. Visit them at mantis.com and let them know you heard about them on the Ask Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Active Self Protection podcast. I am your host, Mike Williver, your favorite former Fed. With us today, uh, a gentleman who uh, is a law enforcement officer in Colorado. He is married with two kids. He is a mutual acquaintance with Stephen Gutowski, who interviewed him uh, back in 2018 for the Free Beacon. You can check that if you just Google Free Beacon Quinn Cunningham, it'll it'll pop up, and it's a really good article. So you should go check that out. Quinn, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me, Mike.
1: My pleasure. So uh, we usually get started talking to people about their background a little bit. Uh, so did you grow up in Colorado? Is that your home state? And did you grow up around guns, firearms, that sort of thing?
0: Well, I grew up in Iowa until I was about 13. And then I moved to Colorado and um, have always been around firearms. Um, my, my mentor was my brother-in-law. And he taught me everything I know about firearms. He, he taught me right. I couldn't. I couldn't touch anything um, until I recited the four firearm safety rules to him, and uh, very positive influence in my life as far as firearms. So,
1: was he, or is he, a law enforcement or military, or just a guy who knows about guns?
0: He's just a guy who knows about guns.
1: Right on. We have a lot of those who listen, so they will. They will appreciate that. Um, let me ask you, why did you get into law enforcement? Now, obviously, the usual answer is because you wanted to help people. That is actually true in quite a few cases. I know, I know, I did. I, I saw cops uh, intervening and stuff in my life and family when I was little, and I always thought, you know what? It's safer when the cops get here. I feel safe. Like that was kind of my motivation. So, what about you?
0: Uh, well, that's a typical oral board question the uh, recruit would give uh, before being hired. I got in for uh, different reasons. I watched *Lethal Weapon* and thought it would be cool. Uh, I could drive fast. I could carry a gun.
1: Outstanding. Uh,
0: Never wrote a report. And then uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I did. And I had to write a lot of
1: reports. That's great. Yeah, my buddy, Mike Haynes, he's one of my old partners from from uh, San Diego. He he jokes about the show 24. Remember that show with Jack Bauer? Oh. And he's like, man, they, they show that, that guy nonstop for 24 hours straight. I never once saw him do a vehicle report or monthly hours or file a report or use a bathroom for that matter. It's amazing how, yeah. how Hollywood uh, portrays our job. So Quinn, you're a uh, law enforcement officer in Colorado. I found being a fed and moving around the country and working with different agencies, there's different cultures, different levels of training. So tell us about your academy, generally speaking. Do you feel it prepared you for the job? And did you have a academy that was specific to your agency or was it a regional academy with different agencies all attending the same one?
0: Well, I went through in 1995 is when I went to the academy. and A lot has changed since then. My academy was through a community college and uh, where I paid to get the uh, the certification, and then would eventually later get hired by my agency. Um, the academy, in, in my opinion, the skills were great. The driving was great. The arrest control was awesome. The firearms were awesome. The uh, the things that you do every day, as far as the Fourth Amendment stuff, not as good as it could have been.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. We, I had a. Um I went through the criminal investigator school for for the feds. It's kind of most of the federal agencies go through it. If you're a special agent for any agency, except for FBI and DEA, they're too special. Um, <laughs> no, they're but we had a Fourth Amendment instructor, and I can only hope he hears this one day. One day, uh, named Bobby Lewis. Bobby Lewis was a chief of police in some small little town in the south. I can't remember it be Georgia somewhere, and he had this fairly odd way of speaking. But man, that guy made Fourth Amendment class and instruction as fun as firearms, as fun as driving. That's how good he was. So I understand the importance of that fourth amendment is probably your biggest hurdle as, as a law enforcement officer, knowing when you can, when, when you can and can't do things, what is an exigency and what is not all that sort of thing. So at any point, did you get any follow on training or did you have to learn the hard way by getting cases thrown out of court?
0: <laughs> uh, I learned the hard way by uh, my FTOs, field okay. training officers set me straight. And I, I, I'm the kind of person I see a deficiency, then I, I try to fix it.
1: Sure. And as a young cop, you're raring to go, you want to run and gun and catch bad guys. And, and if you don't know what you don't know, you know, you, you screw up a traffic stop, you don't have probable cause to do whatever you're doing and, and that case gets tossed out and you don't, you don't, your bad guy doesn't stay in prison and that's not what we want. Exactly. So talk to us. We're, we're going to talk about, uh, an active shooter call that you responded to in 2013. Uh, Prior to that incident, that was obviously long after Columbine. So most agencies had had active shooter training of some sort, and it was pretty standard at that point. Had you gone through active shooter training prior to this event, and how would you characterize it uh, as being good active shooter training, mediocre or not so good?
0: Um, Well, I was one of the instructors, so I thought it was pretty good. Of course. Um, My agency was one of the agencies that did respond to Columbine, and uh, we took it to heart. We did – we, we changed everything after that. We we're, we're very proactive, and we are still one of the more proactive agencies when it comes to training, just training in general and responding to active killers.
1: So can you characterize the size of your agency
0: roughly? Um, we're about 600 sworn.
1: Okay. That's a big department. Yeah. Um, 600 sworn. Okay. So- as, as an instructor, where did you receive your instruction to become an instructor? Or did you guys create your own syllabus? How did that work?
0: Well, after Columbine, we, we had several uh, several of the SWAT guys, myself included, go to different classes. And then we brought those classes together to figure out what works for us, for our agency, for our culture, and what is best for public safety interests. Um, I went through, uh, I believe it was an NTOA class. Um, my initial one, and then we got together. We built all the curriculum from there, and we're, we're pretty proactive on it.
1: That's National Tactical Officers Association. For those who do not know, um, and they're kind of the final word, generally speaking, on on SWAT, special response team stuff in in the country. They're kind of the stand, the, the gold standard. Um, you mentioned that you were SWAT. Have you been through and or instructed training for patrol officers and SWAT? And is it different for the two? I assume, you know, we don't wait around for a SWAT team. Columbine told us that, or at least we're not supposed to, uh, current events notwithstanding. Um, yes. Is the training different for a SWAT officer in that role as a SWAT officer versus a patrol officer? I assume there's some variance, or is it all the same thing?
0: Well, we try to keep it simple. And, um you know, the, the, the tenets of you're running the gunfire, if it's a static situation, then you do a, a, a clearance kind of thing. Um, you locate them, you isolate them, you contain them, and then you uh, start evacuations and things like that. Or you lo- locate them, you isolate them, uh, you contain them, and then you eliminate the threat. Um, it's, it's pretty synonymous for both because we try to keep all the tactics the same um, because – Part of our SWAT team are patrol guys or have collateral duties. Sure. One part is um, is full time. So when it when it comes to the the difference in training, there really isn't that much difference because we want to keep it all the same, um, keep it repeatable, um, and keep it relevant.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I um I did a few classes as an instructor, and when I went through. The, the basic active shooter response training for an instructor school in, in Fort Benning, Georgia, um, you know, the, the head of the, the department there got up and kind of half jokingly said, you know, he, he heard it once from an old cop in the South who said there's two rules when there's an active shooter, find him and kill him, which I mean is, is kind of funny, but it's not, it's not untrue. It's not, it's, it's not rocket As my bus driver at the Academy once said it's not rocket surgery. Um, <laughs> you 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 find you find the threat. Um, you know, I had another guy on a buddy of mine, Jeff, who's an SRT Fed uh, SWAT member, and he, he kind of said the same thing you said. It's not uh, not that complicated. You know, I I hate talking about Uvalde because everything I've seen thus far has indicated that it was a colossal failure on the part of law enforcement, and I, I don't you know. I don't like to to criticize the cops too harshly. I do that sometimes on the Act of Self Protection channel when we do a badge cam and the cop just just makes a hash of it, which happens. Um, it, even more stuff's come out recently where it looks like they never it, from the video it looks like they never even attempted to go into the room. They never even checked the door. They were standing there for a long time. What 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 are your thoughts on that from what we've heard so far and what you know about it?
0: Well, responded to a an incident myself, um, and, you know, seeing things on patrol for, for 10 years. Initially I was, uh, very, very angry, um, for a, a couple days and I didn't want to judge the guys who were there. Um, I wanted to actually look at some type of legitimate after action reports right. before I made any kind of determination on, um, where, uh, where the, the problems were are at and I took some time and then I did a bunch of research and uh, now I can I can say that there was some huge huge failures in their their response uh, their plan once they got there um, huge breakdowns in, in in failure there's just huge failures
1: yeah, it seems like communication was an issue. Um, I was talking to our friend Stephen Gutowski about it uh, on his show, and one of the things I said was you can't judge you know, the third or fourth guy from the fifth or sixth agency showing up on the scene, and there's chaos, and he can't just go running in the building when there's already a presence there. He or she needs to find out what's going on first, and, and I'm sure there was agencies showing up late, and there's cops here and there's cops there, and no one knows who's in charge is what it sounds like. Uh, it sounds like the chief didn't have comms. He didn't have a portable radio. And so, it, you know, there, there's there's a lot of things to, to to criticize. But I think for some of the agencies that showed up later, they had to be like, well, what's the plan? What's going on? Like they, they needed to get a grasp because they can't – there's already people there who they would assume have a plan, who would assume are taking appropriate action. And they can't just run inside or run around the back without checking with them to see what's going on. That's Once this thing has gotten that far, if you're arriving on scene – you know, you need to check with who's there and see what the plan is. And and it sounds like they were asking and they were getting stalled and they finally, the border patrol attack team went in, uh, eventually. Um, would you concur with that assessment that the people later on the scene aren't able to just rush inside when there's already units in place or do you disagree?
0: No, absolutely. Um, that there should be a planned response to each one of these. This should have been planned months ago. Um, the breakdown started with leadership. Leadership is the thing that um, if you have any problems in your agency, in wherever you work, they're, they're leadership problems. And this was a huge leadership problem. Um, well, I didn't want to bring my radio with me because I wanted to put both hands on my gun. What? Yeah. When I go out as a SWAT team supervisor, when something happens and I get called out in the middle of the night, the very first thing I'm grabbing is my radio, not my weapon. I'm grabbing my radio so I have situational awareness of what's going on, and I can start making decisions right then and there while I'm running lights and sirens to to the the incident. Um, that's that's. I think that's a. Uh, I think that excuse about the radio was was um, fabricated by a, an attorney, um, and then once on scene, um, you know. I'm going to just look at my notes. Once on scene, the chief says, uh, if y'all ready to do it, you do it. What does that even mean? I don't know. Um, that's that's like uh, Robert E. Lee's uh, orders at Gettysburg. Um, take the hill if practicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving that ambiguous language in a tactical situation where children are dying is ridiculous. You have to give... Clear, concise orders. And there were none. At one point in time, they've got two doors. I'm starting to go off on a tangent. I I apologize, Mike. I'm listening. Um, There's there's 19 in the hallway. You have 19 cops and one shooter. I love those odds. They have two breach points, one to room uh, 111 and one to room 112. They could have done a diversion and then entered the other breach point. When he's shooting at them through the door, that's information on where he's at. Mm-hmm. You can do another breach on the door with leave four in the hallway. That's 15 guys that can go in and save children from being killed. Are you kidding me? Now, to answer your question, um, you know, typically on a, on a response like this, what you do is the first initial guys, they go in. They run to the gunfire. They give information to to, um, a supervisor or tactical supervisor, however you run the um, incident command system. You give information to that person. Somebody is in charge of that scene. At some point in time, they will make the determination. I need everybody else to stage here with rescue. I'm sending one cop in with one ambulance at a time, things like that. Um, Yeah, for the guys who showed up later, what do you want me to do? Uh, mm-hmm. The typical the typical answer is it, it, take a take a perimeter spot. Well, it, it, you're just you're, <laughs> and these guys on perimeter have no idea what's going on, and then the parents are trying to get past them.
1: And one so, one did successfully. She was stopped, handcuffed, and then released, and then managed to out hop a fence or something to get and get her kids out of there. Kudos to her. Um, God bless her. You know, Stephen and I were discussing when the, the chief down there came out with a statement that – just this is my opinion, of course. Stephen's a reporter. He has to say things responsibly. I can just say whatever I want. Um, when, when I read the statement, it, what you said is spot on. It was crafted by an attorney. Why didn't that statement come out in the, next, in the following days? Why did it take so long? Because he sat down with an attorney and they went over it, probably an attorney for the school district or an attorney for the city or whatever, who says this is what we're going to say. Um, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was fabricated, but it was ca- at least carefully crafted for public consumption because they know every word is going to be picked apart by the press, as it should be. Um,
0: right, and that's that's probably a better better choice of words than
1: that. <laughs> uh, Quinn, we both know an attorney would never fabricate something. <laughs> <consumption>. <laughs> never, no, never. That would be a violation of their, their high moral standards and oaths. <laughs> I, I got like two attorneys that I like. It's okay. So – Let's discuss your, your incident. I know it's not easy to talk about. Um, it's been about nine years now since you responded to uh, uh, an active killer incident at a school. Can we, can we say what level school it was, if it was elementary, high school or whatever? It was a high school. Okay. And was this in your jurisdiction or was it a neighboring jurisdiction?
0: It was my jurisdiction.
1: Okay. Was it in your beat? Like were you the patrol guy for that beat?
0: No, I was, um, I was assigned to the training unit at the time as the lead firearms instructor. And um, I was in the office when – and I was still on the SWAT team. I was in the office when I was advised about it.
1: Okay. So you're in the office. This this call goes out. How far is it from where you are to the school?
0: Running Code 3 um, in the middle of the day, it took us probably about seven minutes.
1: And I think you and I both know how long seven minutes is when there's shots being fired. It's a, It's an absolute eternity. You're on the way over there. You're getting information over the radio on your way. What What are you hearing, is, what are you hearing from the officers that are already unseen?
0: Well, <laughs> it's, it's, for lack of better better term, it's, it's, it's a funny story um, in parts, I was sitting in the office. I was, um, I was injured um, in the line of duty, and I wasn't supposed to respond to anything. And uh, I was di- doing something very courageous, so I fell down the stairs with a laptop and, uh, but I saved the laptop. I
1: salute I salute you, sir. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm just sitting. I was working on lesson plans or something, and uh, one of the guys from investigations runs down in the training unit and yells, we have an active, an active shooter. Um, I grabbed, not being prepared because I was on light duty at the time, um, I grabbed a radio that wasn't mine. I grabbed a rifle out of the armory that wasn't zero to me, a couple mags and a bag full of ammo that was... Someone uh, had been fired and turned over their ammo to us and took off limping out the door across the parking lot. Um, got in this uh, an unmarked car with his investigator who was waiting for me. And he's running running code. He's screaming at people to get out of the way because in the middle of the day when you're in an unmarked car, no one stops, no one pulls over being, being a fed. You know what it's like? Ask me how I code. know, yeah. Um, I'm loaded mags. Um, I, I call my wife and um I say, got an active shooter, love you. And then I, I hung up. Um talking to her later, all she could hear was the guy I was with screaming at the other drivers and the siren, and she figured something was up. Um trying to get some some information on the radio, it was aired as school is going on lockdown. I don't know why, by the SRO. Um, the SRO was on scene. Um and then there was, there was uh, one of the lessons that I learned is there wasn't a lot of radio discipline. Everybody's getting on the radio. I'm in route, I'm in route, I'm in route, I'm in route, I'm in route. I'm in route, I'm no, route one location. no
1: one cares. No one cares if you're in route. Just
0: be in route. It Just shut up and go. Mm-hmm. Just shut up and go. Um, so it was hard to, to get any kind of situa- situational awareness. Um, when I arrived on scene, he parked. I start limping towards the school, and um, I look down, and I'm in khaki five eleven pants, a plain polo shirt, carrying a rifle, with nothing on me that says law enforcement anywhere. And I thought, well, this is how I'm going to die. Right. So I turn around, I go to the next car, next patrol car uh, near me, who's a lieutenant, and I'm like, sir, do you have any kind of raid vest, um, outer carrier, or something that says? says says uh, police on it, and um, this lieutenant we we call Eeyore because he moves about that speed, mm-hmm. opens up his trunk. He's looking around, methodically looking around. I grabbed a traffic vest, bright yellow traffic vest. I threw that on, and I went running into the school. So I link up with um, a couple cops from uh, outside jurisdiction. I had no idea who they were. I'd never seen them before, and I haven't seen them since. And we enter the school. As we enter the school, we initially run into about seven other, uh, seven other law enforcement officers from a few different agencies. And there was a, a street supervisor with them who was kind of directing them because the, the shooting had stopped at some point in time, um, right before I showed up. And we were given information that the subject is in the library and this, The supervisor is directing people where to go. I told him, I'm taking these two guys because one identified himself as an EMT, and we're going to go to the victims. So these guys are doing their slow, methodical clearance, trying to uh, find the suspect, and we're just beating feet through the school. Now, one thing that we do in active shooter training is we have A lot of distractions. Uh, We have firearms going, fire alarms going off. We have, um, we play music from haunted houses and all this other crazy stuff. Just to overwhelm senses. Sure. And when I went in that school, the silence was absolutely deafening. The school had locked down. They had very, very good lockdown procedures. Um, The kids were hiding. They were hiding in the deep corners in classrooms armed with chairs, books, pencils, anything they could, if anybody was going to come to that door, they're going to start fighting. Um, great, great job on the, on the the school. Um, as we're moving through the school, um, I find, we find the library, we go in the library and, um, we talked to the SRO there and the, the suspect was, uh, was down at that point in time from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The library, um, it, it appeared to me that, and it, I smelled the the accelerant from Molotov cocktails and some other type of uh, IED device was was thrown in there. Um, we we spoke real quick. Dude, are you good? What do you need? He's like, I'm good. Stay here. Just look for other victims. So we went back out. And when we went back out, that is when I ran in, into the crime scene that, uh, that quite frankly, changed the course of, of my life. Um. In this, in this situation, this guy c- came in. He fired... Um, he came with a shotgun. First student he sees, um, she asks him what he's doing, and he shoots at her once, and he misses, and you can see where she was sitting, the brick wall, where the shotgun blast had hit. And then the second shot, he shot her in the face, and you could see from the evidence of the wall where it hit. Um, and I looked down and there's blood everywhere. They they picked her up and ran down the hallway. Something else uh, something else happened. They turned around and came back. So there was t- probably about thirty five yards of blood and then thirty five yards of blood coming out. Um, so when you say when apartment.
1: you say they they picked her up, who who picked her up?
0: Um, it was a security guard, an unarmed security guard. Okay. Um, in. in when you look at the scene, you have the blood and you have the brick and all this debris. And I looked down and there was this lock of hair and she had this very beautiful, long, straight hair and time stopped for me. It didn't slow down. It stopped. And looking at her hair in that moment in time changed my life and her beauty and the beauty of this hair transcended all of this evil and chaos and death. And at that point in time, I made the decision, I'm going to do something about this and I'm never going to see any more victims. And I'm going to give everyone I possibly can the ability to protect themselves.
1: Let's talk about that for a minute. I've talked to, obviously in the wake of Uvalde, we've talked to a number of uh, fellow active shooter instructors and, and there's a lot of different... A lot of different um, theories, a lot of different uh, ideas on some of the subtle nuances of of the response. For example, I spoke with uh, one gentleman who said, "Look, we need to quit locking down and putting students, you know, in the corner of a room. That makes them a better target. That makes that collects them all in one spot to be shot at." Other people would say, "No, let's get them out. You know, let's 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 put them in the corner. Or let's jump out the window. Or let's run down the hall, or whatever the case may be." As you're teaching uh, your, your classes, and we'll discuss that organization here in a moment, um, what, what do you recommend that students do? see so there is a classroom where they have an egress that's not to the hallway, it's to the outside or whatever. What's your recommendation? I think that's something that people need to be discussing. Is it better to lock down or is it better to try to get out of there and beat feet and get away from the, the killing? What, what are your thoughts on that? Because there's no, there's no one easy answer to that.
0: No, there's absolutely not. Um, and every situation is dramatically different. Um, I subscribe to, for the students, I subscribe to the the run, hide, fight. Run away, get away, stay out of the fight. Um, if that doesn't work, you barricade and um, lock the doors. And if that doesn't work, and if they come in, you fight with everything you have and take pieces of their body off.
1: Yeah, and nothing should be off the table. You know, when my daughters were little, I said, look, you know, um, as my father once said, if all else fails, bite a man. It'll take the fight right out of him. Bite him, <laughs> eye, eye, pencil through the eyeball, like whatever. You need to realize that you're, uh, your, your life's on the line and you get to do things that are rather unpleasant in order to preserve your life. You know, Stephanie Widener is our CEO and she teaches a really good class for women on women's safety. And so one of the biggest problems is uh, especially for women, because women tend to want to think things are going to be okay and rationalize things. Like when there's a bad thing happening and red flags are being thrown left and right, they they take a little bit longer than men, generally speaking, to be like, "Wait a minute, this I need to, you know, do whatever I need to do." A generalization, to be sure. He, she says women need to uh, radically and rapidly accept that this thing is happening. That's the first hurdle you have to get past. Is look, uh, you know, looks, no no one's setting off fireworks in the hall of your high school. If you hear that, 100% of the time, that's gunfire. You need to know that's what that is and respond accordingly. Um, lost my train of thought. God, I'm getting old. 51 this <laughs> week. Can you believe it? Well, anyway. Happy birthday. So I I feel like that should be something, when we're talking to students and teachers, should be something that is stressed is don't waste time trying to figure out what this is. If you hear you know, what sounds like gunfire in the hallway – There's a 99.9% chance that's what you're hearing is gunfire in the hallway. It's not anything else. In the seconds in between you receiving that stimulus and beginning to act on it could make all the difference in the world. Locking that door within a half a second versus five or six seconds later could make all the difference in the world. These things go down very, very quickly, usually. Um, There's different, I've heard different estimates on the rate of gunfire. How many people are shot per second or per minute or whatever. And I've never heard they would be terribly consistent, but it, there, there is a rough average of how many people are shot per minute or per second. And so uh, would you agree that getting getting everyone's headspace right, getting their heads right and rapidly accepting reality is, is part of the equation that should be taught to the students and to the teachers?
0: Absolutely. Um, you're right. Uh, the, the fireworks you hear are, or the, the sounds you hear are not fireworks. Uh, you know, the, the Aurora Theater shooting, they thought that it was just a, they're throwing fireworks in the in the theater at midnight to watch Batman. No, it's no, it's not. Um, I I typically say seventeen seconds someone's dying. If you can mitigate that, if you can do anything, anything to put time in your bucket and take time away from their bucket, you're you're on the uh, you're on the leading edge. Um, and, and yes, we have to have we have to have more of a. Um, aggressive posture when it comes to these things, and then back it down from there. Um, you know, you have to always think, and it's not paranoia; it's preparation. This is what I'm hearing is bad. I need to do something about it. Oh, it's it's everything's okay. We should have that mentality of 100 percent of when it happens, not if.
1: So, talk to us about faster. Colorado. What is that? What is it that that organization does? Uh, and how did it get started?
0: Faster uh, started in Ohio, and it's a tr- it was a training company for the uh, armed school staff in Ohio. And I believe about 50 districts in Ohio have armed school staff. Laura Carno, who is our executive director, brought Faster to Colorado um, and uh, renamed it Faster Colorado. And what we do is we teach armed school staff. Um, we have several different levels of, of classes. And typically what happens is the school has, goes into executive session at board and decides they want to have armed staff. From there, they talk to lawyers and um, uh, insurance companies and things like that. And, and they determine what needs to be done for these staff. And in Colorado, it's usually... There's one big insurance company who dictates a lot of how much training and how much qualification time, et cetera. Um, And then from there, they start to find volunteers. Um, All of the the schools in Colorado who who prescribe to armed school staff, um, every one of those schools, it's it's voluntary. So first, you have to be a volunteer. Next, you have to do some background checks, some additional background checks, Um, psychs and, and things like that. From there, um, once that's good, you get your concealed weapon permit and then you come to a faster class. Faster level one is a three-day class. In level one, we, do, we, bear, we start right out of the gate. We start with mindset because if your mind is not ready for the fight, kind of like we've already talked about, um, you are not ready for the fight. So we get them in um, kind of an uncomfortable position. We talk about fear. We debrief some uh, some shootings. Unfortunately, and it makes me very angry. I had to update the slides to include a, a debrief for Evaldi. Um We um, we talk about Colorado use of force, and then we go out to the range, um, and then we have classroom here and there. Range time, we do the uh, combat casualty care, and um, they have to qualify. The qualification for for faster is essentially the same qualification for the state of Colorado peace officer standards and training. It is a 100% call at 25 rounds for the baby cops getting out of the academy. For faster, we add two more rounds. So it's 27 out of 27 have to be inside the silhouette.
1: Let's talk about that for a second. This is interesting. When, when I first became a firearms instructor um, many moons ago with my federal agency, I always thought to myself, you know, that the the idea that um you know somebody shooting at a silhouette that, that the shoulder you know right at the edge of the shoulder or in the bicep or the forearm is somehow not worth i i get it it's not it's not a 10 ring shot it's not you know it should be maximum points but hey man if you shot someone in in the right or left shoulder if you if you blew up their bicep with a semi-jacket hollow point nine millimeter round or if you shot him a couple times in the gut that's not nothing I mean, I think we should start stressing that. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not great. You want to get center mass. Obviously, that's what's going to stop the threat. But uh, I don't know. I, I think at some point some, some sc- scoring reevaluation needs to happen because that I've, I've seen people uh, almost not qualify, even though all of their rounds were on the silhouette. They just weren't in the right ring. You know what I mean?
0: Right. And the, the feds are very high on the points system. Yeah. I know it is at Fletzy. Um, I've been through that instructor class at Fletzy. Um, Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It it's gonna have some effect. If you shoot somebody you shoot somebody in the muffin top, it's not it's it it's not gonna stop them, but it'll slow them down. They're gonna know it.
1: I've never been shot in my personal muffin top, but I can't imagine that's very pleasant (laughs) experience. It's pristine. So let let me ask you, uh, has any school if you can talk about this, has any school staff in Colorado ever had to even draw a a firearm in defense of their students? Has that happened yet to your knowledge?
0: Uh, not to my knowledge, the only incident I know of um, with, with this type of training was in Ohio, and um, a suspected active killer was walking into the school with, uh, might have been a shotgun, and a staff member who was armed saw him, took a position of, of cover and concealment, challenged him, dropped the gun, and it was stopped even before it started.
1: Beautiful. I mean, what better outcome could you hope for once an active killer is in the school, right? Um, there's another guest we have, Ed Monk, who talks about uh, the importance of seeing and hearing the first shot as as the responder. If you're an SRO, like one SRO on a giant high school campus, is just not, it's insufficient. As good as that SRO might be, as locked on as he or she may be with their training and, and, and their motivation, you know, if the SRO is on the football field, 400 yards away outside uh, with wind, they're not necessarily going to hear gunshots in the main office that's on the other end of the campus inside. So I think it's so important that we start really getting talking on a national level about this kind of program going nationally. It needs to be something that is uh, way more common than it is because there's nothing, nothing better than having numerous people who no one knows who they are. You know, they're just could be a custodian. It could be an administrator or it could be a teacher. It could be, you know, a, a soccer coach or whatever at various important points throughout the school. You know, we talk about, you know, the, the vast majority of these things start at the front office or the cafeteria, right? Is that correct? Is that your, is that what your syllabus would say? That's what I keep hearing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So front, office. front office is where they're going to encounter the first person who might give them some friction. Right. And then, um, the cafeteria is where the most soft targets are at.
1: Another thing I discussed with my other guests was, look, um, I think the the biggest emotional response from parents or teachers who don't like the idea is, well, a student can get a hold of a gun and, you know, kill someone, or I could have an accident, or they could forget it somewhere. i got to be honest with you folks, uh, your SRO is as, as likely, if not more likely, to accidentally leave their gun in the stall in the bathroom, or, you know, or at IHOP, or wherever else for that matter. So, uh, his point was we need to not worry about we need to overcome these sort of emotional arguments from people who just don't want guns in schools. Because that's that's the bottom line. The, the, like like Grossman says, we're willing to have fire suppression systems and fire extinguishers because we accept the fact that a fire could happen, but we don't like guns in our in our schools. Um,
0: let me ask you, you know, Oh go ahead. Go ahead. So to talk about real quick about the SROs, um, and then I'll get to that point. I think the SROs should be just Absolute knuckle draggers, um, very aggressive, um, yoked, just big dudes and, and dudettes who uh, have seen the inside of the gym. Because that's a deterrent, number one.
1: Hmm.
0: The problem, um, not so much with my agency, but if we look at um, Parkland, it was a it was a retired on duty SRO who was just waiting out his days. And then he waited outside the, that door for children to die. Um, it, it needs to be the, the, the SRO position is the most important position because those guys and ladies are protecting our most natural, precious resource, which is our children. The furtherance of this great country, um, our cultures, and, and all of those things. And our, our SROs have to be locked on in the best we have. Um, Now, to speak to your point, um, I've got some stats from uh, Riley Bowman at uh, concealedcarry.com. I'm a big
1: fan of Riley Bowman. Go ahead. Um, Riley Bowman can
0: shoot, by the way. We compete a lot together. He can put some holes in some paper. I've heard. He destroys me. Um, So this is from 2018, and 33 incidents where armed citizens were present 75.8% of the time the uh, armed citizen stopped or helped stop the threat. 18.2% of the time they helped save lives and 6.1% of the time they did nothing. So if you do the math for you people out there who are listening to the, to this podcast, who are carrying your firearm every day and facing evil and um, helping our society, you guys are making a difference Mm. and we need your help and we continue to need your help. And thank you, because those stats are because of you, not because of the law enforcement officers, not because of Mike was his service and what I've done. It's because of you. And we need more people like you.
1: You know, I thought I could end all crime in my career. Turns out I was wrong. I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you. You ever? This is kind of a fun aside. You go to a, a jail or a prison to interview somebody, everyone you talk to is like, you know what? I was with this guy and he had this stuff. I was with this guy and he did this thing. <laughs> we need, Quinn, we got to find that one guy. He's out there and all of his accomplices end up behind bars, but he is still free. I can sense it. He's a mastermind. He's behind it all.
0: Pa- Pablo Escobar. Yeah.
1: So, Faster Colorado. Uh, let me ask you this. Is there is there a um, like a, an umbrella organization for the various states or does each State just have its own Uh, one of these organizations or the states that do have it have their own there's no umbrella national thing is there or is there
0: no there is not um essentially uh laura carno brought it to colorado um created this 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 entity um i don't like calling it a business because uh we don't make any money um Mm -hmm. all of these all of the teachers go go through or it's it's all sponsored it's all sponsored money um, from, um, donors, from raffles, from, we've got some, um, we've got some other sponsors that I'd like to talk about later on. Um, and all these people are going through for free. Um, there is no umbrella. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of other States and, you know, in some, some places in Colorado, we'll just find a firearms instructor or a firearms training company and go to them. And, you know, it's, it's not a hard recipe, you you talk about mindset, you talk about use of force, you talk about combat casualty care, you talk about firearms, you shoot, you qualify, and then you do some reality-based training uh, at the end of it.
1: Yeah, none of this stuff is, as I said earlier, none of this stuff is rocket surgery. Like, combat casualty care isn't difficult. It's not complicated. Stopping the bleed is not complicated. Like I, I feel like some of that stuff, you know, balancing a checkbook, uh, stopping the bleed, and, you know, Whatever else, There should just be high school classes that everyone everyone gets, like to graduate high school, is just basic stuff that can help everyone out. You know, CPR, first aid. None of that stuff's terribly complex. Um, so initiating this in your area is not the end of the world. It's not hard to do. If you're listening to this and you don't have something like this in your state, maybe it's maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one that needs to stand up and raise your hand and go, let's get this started. I, I don't know what I don't know, but let's let's give this a shot. If someone is in that position in a state that doesn't have, um, currently doesn't have legislation for this sort of thing, can, can Faster Colorado help them? Is there anyone there that could be like, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you get started. Or do you recommend they talk to, to Ohio or Iowa?
0: No, absolutely. Uh, contact Faster Colorado. Um, we're more than happy to help you. Um, we don't see other training companies, other instructors as competition um, mm. because we're trying to save children's lives. Right. I don't care if somebody in, in Colorado starts another class as long as we are protecting and saving children. Don't care. But if you need help starting it, please contact contact us. We will give you everything you need to start your program wherever you are at.
1: And how would they get a hold of you?
0: Uh, Faster Colorado, uh, just go on the, on the Googles. And uh, you'll be able to get all the contact information there.
1: So, Quinn, tell us about uh, the instructor program. If you're picking someone up to be an instructor to teach this sort of thing, walk us through how that works.
0: Well, um, <clears throat> we are all active-duty first responders. Um, we have it, – it was all active-duty law enforcement, but we, we brought on a, uh, a fireman um, who – we give him so much. He's great dude. We give him so much stuff about being a fireman, but
1: we love our hose draggers though. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, he's got four combat tours in, uh, in Iraq as a, as a Marine. So we give him a little bit of flack. Um, and right. he's one of the, the smartest individuals I've met anyway. Um, we're all active duty, um, law enforcement or fire protection service. Um, every one of us have SWAT experience or are currently on a SWAT team. Um, and the, the advantage of that is we are seeing trends every day. We are training people every day, you know, with a, an agency of my size. We're training a certain amount of people every month. Um, all of our guys are, are, most of our guys even have their own uh, side businesses and firearms training. So we're seeing a lot of students and we're learning from those students. And we're directly applying that to, to uh, teaching uh, teaching these teachers in um, how to deal with an active killer.
1: You know, I would love nothing more, and I said this to another one of my guests, than to get you, Carl Chin, Ed Monk, John Correa, anyone else we can find, uh, and have some senator from somewhere call you guys to D.C. to sit in front of Congress. Every time there's another mass shooting, every time there's another school shooting, it's always the, we have to do something, in quotes. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. What do you mean do something? What does that mean Exactly. And every time, it's the same gun control nonsense. Look, there are more guns than people in the United States. You're never going to get rid of all the guns. So that's never, ever, ever going to be the solution to stopping these sorts of things. And let's say you get rid of every gun in the country right now. There's still some troubled young man who's going to walk in with Molotov cocktails or a knife or a sword or or a truck bomb or whatever. There's always a way to kill innocent people if you want to. Um, I would love nothing more than – and maybe I'll make some calls to, – to get people like you in a group, smart people who have experience, who have been there, have responded to these things personally, as I have, and talk to our Congress sensibly about this sort of thing. Nonpartisan, not Republican, not Democrat, not Libertarian, just sensible people explaining to them in, in slow – we have to speak to them slowly. They are politicians. In, in methodical detail, what needs to change? And I think that's critical. So. I don't know if you can get that started. Maybe I'll get it started, but I just think that needs to happen, and the public needs to hear about this stuff because they just don't. There's a small subset of people that listen to shows like mine, and or, or go to thereload.com. You know, they're, they're gun folks, they're two way people, or they're cops or military or whatever. I think the general public somehow needs this to invade their consciousness so they hear these uh, these ideas and these these frankly facts about how we can keep our kids safe for real. Banning extended magazines or whatever nonsense they're going to come out with isn't going to solve anything. It's just not. Uh, I don't say that because, you know, I simply because, uh, you know, my rights, um I say that because it's just true. There's no amount of banning of anything. There's no amount of uh, of of uh, stopping people from buying more than this many rounds of ammunition a month or whatever the nonsense you come up with is going to stop these from happening. What's going to stop them is exactly what we talked about today. It's, trained people with the right mindset who most critically are in the right place uh, to to see or hear that first shot or, or in the case of the the one you just spoke about a little while ago can even end it before it ever starts. That's the only thing in my opinion, that's going to help with these situations.
0: Well, you know, the first thing you hear is enough is enough. Yeah. The next thing is, well, we got to get rid of guns. You know, when, in Colorado, they had a magazine ban come down July of uh, 2013. And guess what? Crime didn't stop. At midnight, mm. we we're just sitting there on the street going, oh my gosh, it's all stopped. Yep. We're saved. That's not the case. Um, what we need is, is we need more guns. And the reason we need more guns is because an armed society is a polite society,
1: mm. generally speaking. Uh,
0: if you get rid of all the firearms, like what Canada's trying to do, it's just going to end up like the UK. You you get more stabbings, and so now you have to turn in your steak knives in the UK. Okay, that's not working. So we go to acid. This is a multifaceted problem, and guns are not part of it. The the there's so many facets when it comes to this active killer phenom- phenomenon. Um, you know, you've got you've got social media. These people don't want to be famous. They want to be infamous. They want to be able to. Um, they want, they want the highest body count. And you know what? What taught them that? Violent video games. I occasionally play violent video games. Um, doesn't mean I'm crazy. Ninety-nine percent of the people who play violent video games are not going to shoot up a school, but there is a chance that one of them will. Um, you know, we have a, a this violence is being glorified in, in in media, and our children are seeing that, and it's desensitizing them. We've got this mental illness problem um, that is taking off. And I don't know what the deal is with that. But in the 50s, there was, uh, if I look at my notes, in the 50s, I believe there was four active killer events in the entire decade of the 50s. Um, and now look at where we're at. Um, political correctness is another facet. You know, we well, I don't want to get involved and. In, You know, um, at Virginia Tech, he's locking up doors. People witness him putting chains on doors and timing it. They witness him at the range running by targets on the ground and shooting at them. And no one said a word because they didn't want to be involved and they didn't want to offend him. We have to stop this political correctness because it's hurting our society. And then I'm going to go out on a limb. Um, The final facet that just out of my knuckle-dragger brain is – is the finance the, the family dynamic we've got uh, a lot of fatherless homes we have women returning to the workplaces not raising our children um, you know and and a lot of these active killers if you look at if you look at their backgrounds and you look at their lives these are a lot of the, the the factors that are involved you know we need we need strong families we have to stop this political correctness we have to call it how it is if you see somebody doing something, don't say, well, you know, I didn't want to get involved. No, call the police. Um, you know, the, the mental illness thing. Who know? Who knows what that is? That's that's just a, a thing in itself. Um, the the violence, both on TV and in video games. You know, I I didn't let my kids even look at an Xbox until they're over eight. And at that time, I had to test them: is this real or is this fake? Well, you know, the know zombies aren't real. Okay, well then let's let's shoot some zombies. Um, you know, and social media has to, to glorify everything. The algorithms of social media, um, they they target certain audiences doing certain things. And then you have people like the guy in New Zealand who live stream the entire thing in New Zealand um, just to get just to get the likes, just to get the just to be infamous. Um, and these are some of the factors that I don't have an answer for. Mike, I, I doubt you have an answer for these things, but there are so many factors that that, that are causing this this. This problem, and it's not guns.
1: Yeah, I, I agreed with with the vast majority of what you just said. I I just, uh, as I said earlier, I think the only thing that's going to you know it's cliche, it's an NRA cliche. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, you know that's not untrue. It's just even though it's a cliche, it doesn't mean it's not it's not accurate. Uh, and I I think the only as I said earlier, I'll reiterate it. The only way to to mitigate these sorts of things is to have trained uh, smart uh, people on site prepared with the right mindset and the right training to do what they have to do. Uh, I had not heard about that incident where he just challenged the shooter. He put the gun down and, you know, and no one had to die. That's, that's great. It was very encouraging to, to hear. Uh, talk to us about some of your sponsors. You said you wanted to uh, give some shout outs here. Who are we talking about?
0: Yeah. So um, like I said, faster, Colorado um, the, the people who go through this, the armed staffers who go through, um, they don't, they don't pay anything. Um, and we have some sponsors who, who help them out with that. Um, we have, uh, bullets, both ways, which is an apparel company. Um, great people over there. Aaron is, is, is a great dude and he's in the same, uh, mindset as us. Uh, check out both bullets, both ways. Um, next, uh, have you heard of, uh, life spot app? Mm-mm. okay well this is this is good um lifespot app is an app on your phone that is uh, geofenced around a school and if something happens if there's an active killer that starts you swipe up you you go through the notification process and within six seconds this application will advise dispatch rescue and all law law enforcement on duty officers in the area that there's an active shooter within six seconds Hmm. and then this app you can put where the armed staff is at you can put where the bad guys are at so you have command and control from a command level position uh life spot app doing tremendous things uh suggest that um, anybody anybody who is in a school uh check them out when it comes to our saving our kids i I i don't want our schools to be prisons I want the, our schools to be like casinos, where people can walk in, um, be greeted, uh, vetted, and then for you know, and then um, from there, go about their business. But secu- uh, the casinos, the security is is top notch. They've got cameras. Mm-hmm. They've got layers of security, uh, both armed, um, unarmed. They got cameras, and then this LifeSpot app is just one more thing, um, one more layer that can. Notif- it's, a, it's incredible. It can notify law enforcement within six seconds. And then uh, finally, uh, Shadow Systems, which is a firearms manufacturer in Plano, Texas. Um, they make high-end Glock operating system firearms. Um, anything that you would want to do with a Glock, it comes from the factory like that. And it is it is not a Glock. It is a Glock operating system. It's not a Gucci Glock. It's not a Super Glock. It's ba- made in America um, with with tons of innovations anything you want to do to a to a gun they it comes from the factory and it's all made in america shadow systems uh is a, a great firearm and i um, i carry those on duty i shoot them in competition great people down there are great americans
1: and so these sponsors aren't paying you money these sponsors are helping to uh, fund these classes for the the uh, public school employees correct
0: well um correct but shadow systems is my comp- competitive shooting sponsor and then I introduce them to faster Colorado. So, oh, very good. Yeah. I'll,
1: as Ken Jong once said, with a sombrero on, I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> hey, folks, listen up. A couple of things I want. To, a couple of housekeeping things I want to talk about real quick. Uh, last week's episode um, absolutely blew up, and it was has twice the plays of any episode prior. So, if you're new to this uh, podcast and you're listening for the second or third time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Please do me a favor and subscribe. To this podcast on whatever uh apple or spotify or google whatever you're using uh tell a friend you know people uh people who listen to this sort of thing generally have friends who were interested in the same thing second amendment self-defense that sort of thing tell a friend about it and tell them to to check it out and, and maybe subscribe as well don't forget to stick around with our talk with Stephen gutowski who says hi by the way quinn he says hi to you him um, hello uh We'll have a talk with Stephen here, and uh, well, I think we're going to be discussing the recent um, Senate uh, gun grab—I call it gun grabber legislation—that's what it is. Uh, response in in scare quotes to the Uvalde and the Buffalo shootings, which will, will do no good whatsoever, probably. Quinn, I really thank you for uh, taking the time to come on. I thank you for your service. I appreciate you um, uh, protecting those kids and getting the awareness out there so we can get a more effective. Um, more effective deterrent and more effective response to, to school shooters. Thank you so much for being here.
0: I appreciate it, Mike. Um, and I just want to say one more thing before we cut off. Um, you know, just like you, um, I've, I've seen evil and I, I've seen what human beings can do to each other. And, it's, and it is and it is scary. But when we face evil and we look it in the eye, we take power away from it. Uh, like I said, I this changed the course of my life. And when I when I got home from that act of killer and, you know, one student died and I didn't do anything. um, I really did nothing. I just showed up. It affected me so much that um, I was standing over my 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 boy's crib and he was probably six months old at the time.
2: Hmm.
0: And I I looked at him and I said, "I, I promise there will be no more victims for whatever I can do. I will not allow any more victims. And that's that's why I started this. Um, and it, it has changed my life. So of, of the death that came through it, some positive has come through. But for all the people listening, um, you are making a difference. We've read the stats. Keep doing the good thing and fighting the good fight. We need you. We need you now more than we ever needed you in the past. Um, it's, this is a, a dangerous times we live in. And when you look that evil in the eye and you say, not today, you're not taking me, you're not taking my family away from me, you take power away from it. Keep it up. and We love what you're doing. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Quinn. Take care, buddy. Thanks. All righty, gang. Welcome back. It's time once again for the Gutowski Files with our friend, friend of the channel, friend of the podcast, Stephen Gutowski. Stephen is the founder of TheReload.com and the host of the weekly Reload. Podcast, which is available on all your finer podcast outlets and YouTube, and if you're a member at thereload.com, which you should be, you get it a day early. Stephen, welcome, sir. How are
2: you? I'm doing well. I like that ASMR, uh, the selling line there.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna That's... put some brushes on the mic next or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: that that'll definitely boost the membership. I think. I think
1: people will probably run away as they should. Um, <laughs> so we are talking this week about, I think, what everyone's talking about aside from the atrocious police response of uh they're talking about this new legislation that passed the Senate. Um, and, you know, I, I've looked over some of it. I haven't obviously probably studied nearly as close as you have. So why don't you tell us about how our politicians are saving us all from gun violence?
2: Yeah, so the Senate bill's text finally dropped. They finally came to a, an agreement on the details and published the text about you know, uh, an hour or two before they actually voted on it. We have, uh, well, to, we vote. have
1: to vote on it. We have to pass it to see what's in it, Stephen. You've heard that before. <laughs> right.
2: right. To be fair, it's only 80 pages, so it's shorter than some of these other giant omnibus bills that they tend to pass. But, uh, and they haven't voted on the final, it's not, it hasn't made the final vote yet. They had a procedural vote to move it forward. And then, you know, the way that the Senate has a bunch of rules on how this stuff works, but they should be able to get to a final vote probably by, friday or this weekend they they want to get this done before they go on uh the fourth of july recess um that, that's been a big sticking point for a lot of this is like they they want to get it done they have the votes together on a on a deal in prac in theory and so they wanted to get the text out and get it done and get the votes so they can move on and and the coalition doesn't fall apart right that that's how this that's the dynamics of the senate uh is politics here but so what's in the bill, right? Uh, well, it's, a, it's got all the stuff we talked about, but now we have more insight into exactly how it works, right? So there's the, you know, one of the big ticket items that a lot of people talk about is the red flag funding provision. Uh, and that was one of the sticking points with Senator John Cornyn, the Republican from Texas, who's sort of a big key player in this negotiation because he's kind of the go-to guy for gun policy in the, in the Republican caucus. And right he He wanted to extend that funding that could be used for you know federal dollars for state red flag laws right to to implement them and sort of the idea was to encourage states to adopt this policy because only nineteen have it right now uh most red states don't have it uh but he wanted to extend extend that funding to other sorts of crisis intervention programs like um drug courts mental health courts, veterans courts. Uh, you know, different programs that would intervene with somebody who's in a, in a crisis situation, um, but not a red flag law that that confiscates somebody's fires. Right. right. And they did that. So um, it also includes a, a model bill. So it ha- there's certain requirements that a red flag law would have to to meet before it could receive federal funding. Uh, but I, you know, in the end, I think that provision is probably not going to actually do much of anything uh, other than just uh, give out money to states th- that already have red flag laws. And most, most of these states that don't have them probably won't pass them because they're not popular politically in those states, honestly, <laughs> like right. even Texas isn't on track to pass uh, a red flag law after Uvalde. That's not something that, uh, is is popular there. So uh, and the fact is you can use that federal grant money for something else. So it's sort of they it took away a little bit of the incentive to pass a red flag law. And frankly the requirements for uh, the red flag law, you know the due process requirements and you know stuff like uh, having a punishment for somebody who's falsely filing red flag law, most of those things, especially the way this is written, uh, it's fairly vague and generic and probably the laws in practice right now all already meet those relatively low standards that are in there. So it's probably not going to cha- incentivize states to change their current red flag laws either. Um, so that that's one major thing It's ki- that kind of turned into not much other than just kind of <laughs> funding for states to do whatever they want with regards to crisis intervention policies but there's also uh there's some more, uh you know uh, there's some more significant provisions when it comes to juvenile criminal records so what they ended up doing with this there was a lot of talk about how this would work in real life what they ended up doing is they so right now it's illegal for you to knowingly sell for anyone to knowingly sell a gun or ammunition to somebody who's a prohibited person because they have a felony conviction, a misdemeanor, domestic violence conviction, uh, or they were adjudicated mentally ill or, or involuntarily committed. Right. Right. That's the, those are the, the sales prohibitions. Um, So now they've just said all those things, but also it extends to your juvenile records. So, if you had a committed a, a crime and were convicted as a juvenile and had to spend and the punishment was up to was beyond a year in jail, that's a felony, then you're prohibited for life. Um, same for domestic violence misdemeanor and same for being involuntarily committed. Although they do for involuntary commitment, they do have a requirement that you be 16 years or older. Uh, And then also they've created this is it seems related, but it's actually kind of separate because that juvenile record thing applies to anybody of any age. You could be 90 years old if you had a juvenile criminal record, you know, up to this point, it might have been expunged or not included in the background check system. Uh, But now if that record ends up in the system, which is what they're trying to, to accomplish here, you'll be prohibited from buying guns, although they in a weird quirk the way it works now for adults, you know, people with adult records is you can't sell them guns. Um, and also they can't possess guns <laughs> themselves. Uh, that's a different section of the law where it says, you know, with the same requirements, you know, felony domestic violence, you know, misdemeanor. There's a few other ones, you know, fugitive from justice. Uh, uh, somebody who's currently a, an illegal user of drugs or a user of illegal drugs. Right. But um for some reason they don't extend the juvenile records portion to the possession aspect. So you could, I I think it's just a drafting error. Like they just didn't include that section because it doesn't really make sense as something that was intentionally done, but it's a
1: good thing. They're rushing um, it.
2: Yeah, they're certainly, (laughs) they're certainly rushing it. They were still, they were making floor speeches about it while it was still being written. Mm -hmm. The text hadn't even come out yet. So Uh, You know, they're trying to get it done really fast. And I think this is probably a result of that. So you can't legally, you can't sell a gun knowingly to somebody with a juvenile criminal record, you know, that, that includes one of those things, but for some reason they can legally attempt to buy one or they could legally own them. Uh, You could gift them perhaps if you're, uh, you know, related or or something along those lines. Uh, But so I, I don't know if that'll get cleaned up in sort of the amendment process that's going to happen here most likely tomorrow uh, or, you know, Friday, Thursday, Friday, sometime, um, or, or what's going to happen with that. But the other thing that sounds related, but really isn't, um, is a, a new background check process for people who are 18 to 20 years old. So right now, uh, anyone who goes to buy a gun, the, it's designed to be an instantaneous process, right? That's the intention, at least which is, uh, that's why they call it the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, right? Uh, you can be delayed if, if they do the background check and they find perhaps you have a, a charge pending against you in a jurisdiction that, and that shows up. They can delay that background check already under current law uh, for up to three days to try and see if that pending charge is for something that would make you prohibited like a drug possession charge, because, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you, you can't buy guns legally. If you are uh, addicted to illegal substances or a user of illegal drugs, that's, that's the language in the bill. So if you have a pending charge for possession of, of, of illegal substances, then you you would be prohibited from, from buying guns. But uh, the way it works under this new process for 18 to 20 year olds is that um, it it kind of, it seems at least that practically it would end up pushing most of them into that delay process because the, what it requires is for the FBI through the background check system to reach out to all of the local or all the, the state repositories for juvenile criminal and mental health records, basically, uh, and see if they have any records on you. And they have up to three days just to see if there might be a record, right? If that makes sense. So mm-hmm. they're supposed to do it as soon as possible, but they have up to three days just to to find a sign that you might have a disqualifying record. And then from that point, well, and then overall, they have 10 business days to complete an investigation into whether or not you have a disqualifying juvenile record so um it's sort of a de facto waiting period you know it's the language says that they have to do it as soon as possible but there's and then there's a limit of three days to find a warning you know find some sort of flag that you might be prohibited and then 10 days total to complete the investigation before then the, the gun can be sold to you without a determination um so but then that that process actually sunsets after 10 years so that special background check process for 18 to 20 year olds will uh go away in 10 years under this law with the i believe the idea as i've heard it explained is that by then all the juvenile criminal records will be commonly uploaded to the national criminal background check system you won't need this extra Process. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff too. They changed the definition of uh, for the standard for who needs to get a federal firearms license if they're selling guns uh, to make it. It's still fairly vague, but it focuses much more on whether you turn a profit on your gun sale or not. Um, they, you know, they also include you know school security funding. They include um, funding for uh, expanding a, a mental health program that's been in existence in most states now, but they want to expand it to all states, uh, you know, sort of mental health intervention program uh, through uh, Medicare. And uh, they also changed the definition of domestic abuse to include people who commit misdemeanor violence against their uh, dating partners, uh, although they don't really give a clear definition.
1: Their definition is odd. I read it. It's very weird
2: it's just kind of open-ended. Uh, it's not really definitive. It's like anyone who has a romantic or intimate relationship. Uh, and by that, you know, then they go on to define it further and it's just based off of the length of the relationship and the nature of the relationship. (laughs) And it says it can't be a casual acquaintance or a relationship where people would, um, just normally interact with one another in a social or business setting. So, it really kind of just doesn't define it. It sort of gives guidelines on what it could mean. Um, but that's 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 another one where like they also s- create a sunset for that. So if you're convicted of a domestic violence misdemeanor against a dating partner, however that comes to be defined over the years by the courts, um, you'll be barred from owning guns, but only for five years. And then if you, as long as you don't commit another crime, uh, domestic violence in that five-year period or violate your probation or whatever, uh, that those records will be wiped away from the background check system, but they don't do that for, for whatever reason, they don't extend that to the other kinds of domestic violence already, uh, included in, in, you know, uh, pro gun prohibition. So domestic violence against uh, someone you're married to or somebody you have a child with or somebody you live with, uh, you know, in a, in a romantic uh, partnership. But so that that's, uh, I think that's maybe a long explanation. Hopefully it made sense. But that's kind of what's in there.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the, in the weeks to come. As I told Stephen, uh, you know, I live in southern Arizona, and my air conditioning has stopped working. And it is let me check the thermometer. It's 4,832 degrees in my studio right now. So we're going to keep this one a little short, folks. If you are lamenting the lack of sane, sober, down the middle, fair minded reporting on the Second Amendment and all things firearms related, please go over to thereload.com, thereload.com and carefully consider getting a membership so he relies on your, uh, your membership dollars to do the important work he's doing. Uh, fun fact, last week's episode, we had a collab with the main channel, and it has absolutely blown up uh, podcast numbers. It's, it's more than double any other show we've had uh, so far in the show. So, thank you for listening. As I said earlier um, to my other guest, hey, tell a friend, you know, rate and review, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, let's keep this train rolling. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being here. We'll see you next week, buddy.
2: Absolutely. Hey, friends, this is John Correa. If
0: you like the podcast, if it is bringing you value, do me a favor and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out.